Welcome to It's Who You Know, the podcast, bridging the gap between Jewish leaders and those who follow them. Gain insight from Jewish professionals who make the decisions that influence your Jewish world. Thank you for joining us. This is your host, Michelle W. Malkin, and I am excited to introduce our guest today, Lana Azen, who is a newly appointed executive director of JPRO Network. She'll talk more about the work of the organization and what it means to her and her career. Some of her past experiences have included a number of Jewish organizations, including most recently the UJA Federation of Greater Toronto as their Director of Experiential Education. She holds a Master's in Nonprofit Management and Judaic Studies, and you can find her full bio on our website. It's whoyouknowpodcast.wordpress.com. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for inviting me. Of course. So one of the reasons I wanted to invite you on and to talk with you more about your work is that the JPRO Network, for those who don't know, is a national organization that supports uh, satellite organizations that do professional development work. And of course, you can correct me if I'm incorrect in any of these things. And to me, what's so striking is, is this change of leadership. Previous to Atlanta's tenureship with this organization, Brenda Geveritz was the executive director for uh, how many years do you know? 14 years. For 14 years. So a big changing of the guard and fresher face and ideas and what that means for both the organization and the work that you do uh, as a personal level. So if, if you can, I'd love to start with a little bit from you as to how you got here or what there was in your past that influenced you the most uh, to do all this incredible work uh, that you have done so far in your career. You know, I think that our professional journeys often make a lot more sense looking backward than they do when we're looking ahead. And truthfully, I think that for me and for, for many people who ended up in this work, it didn't happen by accident exactly, but there were, you know, a series of, you know, happy accidents that, that led me here. And the first one, I guess, was that when I was in my, my last year of university in Toronto, I ended up sort of by fluke applying to be part of an alternative spring break trip to El Salvador, which was sponsored by Hillel's. And it really was just sort of on a lark that I was part of a service mission of Jewish university students to El Salvador. And as it turned out, the the trip was run by American Jewish World Service. And it really was a life-changing experience for me in terms of opening up global perspective for the first time, connecting the kinds of global issues that were brand new to me to Jewish thinking and Jewish tradition, and happily and unexpectedly coming out of that experience, I was invited by Stephanie Rasquet and Ruth Messenger to come to New York for a year to be a fellow to work on the Alternative Spring Break program. And I thought that would be like a one-year thing, and I didn't know what I would do next. I thought I might go into education. And one year turned into 13 years and really a career. But I think the the point that I started with, that sort of a series of happy accidents, it wasn't just that moment. There were a series of moments that that sort of helped me to form my career path. And I think that the one thing that ties all of the moments together, beginning with Stephanie and Ruth and beyond that, is that there were people who understood what it was to mentor, who understood 
what it meant to pay attention to young professionals, people with talent who cared about professional development and you know, giving their time and their attention in that incredibly generous way. And, you know, each of those inflection points in my careers really were characterized by that kind of support. That's great. That's definitely something that I think we also talk about a lot and think about a lot is not only session, but how do we bring the next generation up? How do we make sure that we have our eyes on the leadership below us? Because I, I similarly had experiences with mentors that I would not have gone and got my master's degree if I didn't have four people, you know, pushing me into the door and saying, we have this great program, we want you to do it. Mm-hmm. And I hope you've uh, thanked your roommate quite a bit <laughs> for, for her encouragement for this, uh, for this program that pushed you into this. Right. And now you're, you're making a bit of a, a transition. I know you spent some time at uh, the Federation doing education specific work, but in addition to American Jewish World Service, your time with Repair the World and doing that social action. So now you find yourself in a position that isn't so social action heavy. Uh, I don't know how you, you feel about that, the way you think about that, if that's something that you found a way to do in another capacity. It, it is a, quite a, a career shift. As somebody who's also similarly done social action things, I, I feel that too when I'm not filling that void that is so passionate for me. Well, I think that there are a few themes that I see sort of weaving through my career. And that sort of goes back to what I was saying before about how it's it's a lot easier to sort of write our stories and tell our stories looking backwards than it is looking ahead. And, you know, one theme that I see is a passion for education. And there's a way that in, in every role that I've had, there's been work in education, curriculum development, teaching, thinking about teaching and learning. And that will be a constant when I think about JPRO. We really are passionately interested in how we enable people who work in the Jewish nonprofit sector in North America to advance their careers. And we see that as totally interwoven with how we advance our field as a whole. So so there's certainly a learning and education-related element uh, very much at the core of what JPRO does. And then in terms of social justice work, which became my passionate interest really through my time at AJWS, and that awoke something in me that I really hadn't connected with before. I think it's something that I bring with me now into everything I do in in different ways. And I think a lot about inclusion, diversity, the ways that people who are less insiders than others, how, how they can have access. And I think when think about our sector, there are all kinds of ways and it's not, it's not binary or simple, but there are lots of ways that some people are more on the inside than others. It could be geographic. It could be the nature of a particular organization. Certainly, we know that there are issues related to gender and sexual orientation and race, Jews and non-Jews. There are all kinds of dynamics that shape issues of access and opportunity in our field. And I'm, I'm very interested in, in how we can impact that through our work. Absolutely. Especially when you talk about pay equity, right? That's, we're talking about Jewish professionals and pay equity between, you know, genders or even pay transparency, mm-hmm. um, you know, as an issue that is, is tackled. So go ahead and tell us a little bit about the organization, your role in it, uh, what are you excited about, and how it feels to be taking over for somebody who's, you know, been there for 14 years, a legacy uh, I'm sure that is full of a lot of accomplishments and an organization that has its successes and challenges. It's a big role. It is a big role. It's exciting. And it also feels like a big step. I really feel 
honored to be following Brenda, who had a profound impact on my career through her work at JPro. So that it feels a little bit surreal, to be honest. This is not where I expected to be 15 years into my career. JPro Network is the professional association for people who work in the Jewish nonprofit sector in North America. And we estimate that there are about 80,000 people employed by Jewish nonprofits across the continent. We are over 100 years old, which makes us one of the longest standing Jewish organizations in North America. And in many ways, we're like a startup. My role is very much about working with our extraordinary board, with many people who are passionately interested in the issues that, that we address to reimagine what kinds of initiatives, what kinds of programs and opportunities can be most impactful for making a difference for people who work in the field and for the field as a whole. And that includes professional development opportunities, networking opportunities, advocacy on behalf of issues that are of importance to professionals in the field. But we are we are early, we're at the very, very beginning of that envisioning stage. And more than anything right now, I'm trying to speak with as many people as possible, do a lot of listening and really understand what the needs are. And I think you also asked me why I was excited about this work. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, as I said, it feels surreal. I'm just overflowing with excitement. I've always cared a ton about how we work making work awesome. And I love our field. I just think that people who work in nonprofits in general, people who work in Jewish nonprofits in particular, that's the space that I've always worked in, tremendously special people. And it's, it's a privilege to work with such extraordinarily special people. And I also think that we have work to do to make our workplaces as excellent as possible to make sure that our HR practices are at the leading edge and not behind the times. And there are many great organizations leading the way on that. I always used to say real quick, Jewish professional work that I did in Los Angeles is that we were the ones that created community for those who create community. So you spend your whole day, right, working to create community for others. And then you turn around and you're like, okay, you know, and then you get to be in a room with other professionals that do that same thing. And you feel that camaraderie, you feel that, uh, that fellowship, you feel that community of people that are doing the work that you're doing. And whether it's a different organization, a different type of community, that particular type of work, creating community, it has its challenges and it's, it's joys and successes that really can only be shared among those that do similar work. It's great. I love that. Building community for people who build community. It's great. And look, it's about the networks and it's also, it's about career development, professional learning, like, you know, those pieces and they do, they, they go hand in hand. And you've got a, a wide range that you're working with, right? So you've got you know, new to the field, straight out of college, really ambitious professionals, right, that are going to soak up every, you know, opportunity for advancement and growth. And I mean, I I was there, right, you know, like a lot of people were. And then you've got those that, you know, have sought more formal education, who have a master's in nonprofit management, who feel like they've had some kind of formal training, right? What's kind of in this for them? And then you transition to those with families that don't have a whole lot of extra time, feel maybe a little more settled in their career, but do still have their eye on some other, you know, opportunity out there. And then, you know, what comes after that? You've got the, you know, maybe older kids or, or no kids, right? The higher level positions where 
you know, you're at the top and maybe you've been at the top for, you know, 10 years and you are doing the same types of things and, you know, that networking to try and get new ideas. So it's a really wide range of the life of a Jewish professional. That when you talk about professional development and the niche that the JPro Network really provides to the field, how do you think when you think about all those varying different types of audiences or places that people are in their careers? Look, my, my gut is that our sweet spot is going to be for early and mid-career professionals because there's just a huge amount of unmet demand there. And also, Leading Edge is doing an extraordinary job with senior executives and JPro and Leading Edge are, are partnering closely. That's where I think our focus is going to be. And I'm very interested in how we work with graduate students who are preparing for careers in our field. As, as you mentioned, those who are earlier in the, early in their career, whether that's, you know, just in those first few years or someone who's, who's coming straight out of a master's, perhaps that went straight from undergraduate to graduate school, sort of that mm-hmm. phase. And then in mid-career, we see lots of people looking for for opportunities that they feel like they're not funding. The other cohort that I've been thinking about a lot is people who are retired. And there's great work happening in the secular space around boomers, retirees. And I think there's there's huge opportunity and huge desire for folks at that stage to give back. Many are, are consulting and giving back through consulting. And I think there may also be an opportunity to be thinking about pro bono opportunities. I know that was one of the biggest challenges we dealt with in Los Angeles was getting Jewish professionals who already, you know, were busy with their lives to volunteer their time, to be the ones to be creating, you know, it's a a complete volunteer run organization. That was always a challenge for us was getting people around the table, getting people committed to doing free work. And again, for people who are already so busy creating these communities for other people, you know, what are your sort of thoughts? I mean, you talk about retired and that was always our golden egg, right? Who are our retired people that we can get to do these things? And then you have the clash of the generations and then you have the clash of those retired folks who have the time and, and want to participate in creating these types of events. Um, but then you have the younger people who do maybe have a little more time or are involved who have a different idea of where things should go or what kind of events should happen. And um, so it's kind of the two ends of the, the volunteer spectrum of who, people who have a little extra time to engage. I don't know if you've ever thought about that or, or thought about the volunteer uh, issue in that way. Sure. Well, so I'll say a couple of things. One is local JPRO chapters. So you mentioned having been involved with the chapter in Southern California. There are you know, chapters throughout the United States right now. I, I hope soon that we'll have some in Canada as well. Many of them are volunteer run. Some have a little bit of funding. Some have a lot of funding. And I think the ones without funding do struggle for exactly the, the reason that you mentioned. And, you know, I think that there, there is a model that can enable local professional groups to thrive, even when they are purely volunteer driven. But from the initial listening and learning I've done, a little bit of funding does go a long way. Mm-hmm. Just to have, you know, if there's an anchor person in a central organization, perhaps the federation, although not necessarily just as doing a little bit of the logistical backend work, I think it becomes a lot easier for volunteers to focus on programming. In terms of retirees, you know, I think that retirees could play a great role in local groups, although that's not, that's not where my thinking began. JPRO Network, the Continental Organization, 
we are a membership-driven organization. Jewish nonprofits join JPRO as members. And the thinking is that retirees may want to offer pro bono consulting services to organizations, right? So certainly retirees may want to be involved with local groups. And I think that that could be fabulous and intergenerational opportunities are phenomenal. And there are a lot of younger people who are really, you know, oriented towards that cross-generational experience and learning. But um, I also think that people who are retired have extraordinary skill sets, right? Both professionals and lay leaders. They can help with capital campaigns, right? They can help with reviewing HR policies. Like they all, they, they have tremendous experience that they can bring to bear. And, um, and as I said, many of them are consulting already. So I just think that there's an opportunity for our field to, whatever the model is, and we don't know yet, but to be harnessing the talent of retirees. So I just mentioned them because I think early in mid-career may be our sweet spot, but that feels like another place where we could really have an impact that has lots of ripple effect. Absolutely. That's a really interesting idea that I, I actually haven't ever heard before. I I know that they do it in uh, something they have called Executive Service Corps mm-hmm. out in the LA area where it's basically that, you know, it's um, either current executives or retired executives and a lot of our, or the professionals they used to work with found a lot of meaning through that and to be able to do that in a Jewish lens and offer their, their resources and services and uh, experience it's fantastic. That's a fantastic way of thinking about that cohort. Whereas I'm thinking about it as, you know, people in rooms, <laughs> you're thinking about what, you know, what's in their brains, what they really have to contribute to, to what's already happening and how to keep them in the loop of, of the work that that's being done and feel like there's, they have a, a vehicle for, for their expertise and their, their knowledge that they've built up over their career. That's fantastic. So, so early, early career and, and utilizing the late career because you feel the executive careers really, they've got some services. That's right. In mid-career, you know, there are a number of highly selective, specialized programs at the mid-career stage right now in our sector. Schusterman Fellows, the Wexner Field Fellowship, Ruskay Institute in New York, and, and there are others and the demand for experiences like that is far outpacing the supply, right? Lots of people are applying to be part of those programs that do, you know, deep talent development and, and are investing, you know, significant resources in the people who are chosen. And going back to what I said earlier about my thought that JPRO really is about a sense of really deep inclusiveness those selective programs, I think, are critical. Our field needs to invest deeply in talent, 100 mm. But we're never going to reach everybody that way. And I think a question for JPRO to really grapple with is how can we, how can we leverage what's being done um, in those programs and in all kinds of spaces and distribute it more broadly to lots of people who want to be learning, who want to be strengthening their skill sets, growing their networks, and advancing their careers, whatever that means. And some people, some people do want to be senior executives. Some people don't, but most engaged professionals want to be learning and growing mm-hmm. and extending themselves professionally. And I think JPRO really ought to be thinking about how, how we exponentially grow the number of professionals 
at many stages, but I'm thinking in, in that, in that realm about mid career, because right now there's, there's just not enough. Exactly. And when you talk about, you know, what some people want to get to the executive level, some people don't. And I've, you know, very rarely do I see somebody who's been in an organization for a long period of time and have literally done just one job, right? When your mm-hmm. staffs are so small, you do and you go where, you know, things are changing and moving and you were the development manager, but now you're, you know, helping with a strategic plan because that's where you're needed. You know, people who might be a one organization, but doesn't necessarily mean they have one career, right? That they have, that they're stagnant, but still needing that, that learning and that changing and that growing within whatever career they've, they've chosen to attach to. Yeah. And it's particularly true at young organizations. And I, I started at Repair the World. It was a brand new organization. And I think in my six years there, I had seven different titles or mm-hmm. six, I don't know, but like, and, and, and that was true throughout the organization. It wasn't just me. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that, that that experience is very common in a whole, a whole set of our sector of smaller organizations and younger organizations. Absolutely. And in that same vein, you know, director of development, one place is not, you know, the same roles and responsibilities of director of development somewhere else. And even if you have, you know, the same title or expertise, it doesn't necessarily mean that the new role that you might come into doesn't require some new learning or growing. And it's very Jewish of us to think about how much learning and growing there is always to do. Yeah, look, it's true. And the, the recent leading edge study of the leading the leading places to work report you know they found that there's a massive massive number of titles in, in our field that there isn't standardization you talked before about salary transparency and, and issues of that nature well it's very difficult to be able to sort of look field wide at opportunity and advancement and salary when director of development in one place means something very, very different than director of development in another place or where two very similar jobs in, in two, let's say, even similar organizations have wildly different titles. Mm-hmm. And there are many industries. I always get jealous of friends that work in the movie industry. And one title is one title, no matter where you go and you know exactly what your next step is and where you're trying to go. And you have that one title, no matter where you, and it's so easy. <laughs> Uh, whereas our paths are, are much more swerving to, you know, go with the flow and the need and, and where our own individual lives take us. You've been listening to my interview with Alana Azen, Executive Director of the JPER Network. In two weeks, you'll hear my conversation with Mark S. Young from the Jewish Theological Seminary as we discuss best HR practices in Jewish organizations. In college, and this was another influence, I really got interested into why we do what we do. And that was, you know, a question that led me to major in psych. But then I really kind of geared to that into a business perspective. Why do we do what we do? What are we motivated to do the jobs that we do? And why are we motivated to do our jobs? And what successful motivation strategies are out there in order for businesses and organizations and the people in them to be be very successful? I hope you'll join us for that conversation. But for now, back to Elena. So on that note, you mentioned that you recently moved to Toronto. That was from New York City? That's right. Okay, so that must have been a a big move for you guys. And you have two children, two young children? Young children, that's right. They were even younger when we moved. We did. We moved um, both because of my my husband and I. We we had professional opportunities in Toronto, and also I'm from here. And so 
it was largely a you know family driven decision. Mm-hmm. I know that I know that feel. I mean, luckily you're from there. My husband's from New Jersey, so having moved out here from LA was was lovely that we had friends and family already here. I keep telling him like, if you got a job offer in Wisconsin, I probably would have said no because I don't know anybody in Wisconsin. It's my understanding that you have one other full time staff member for the organization. Is that correct? We will as of you June will. 19. Congratulations. <laughs> we have hired the most extraordinary professional to be our director of program and operations. Her name is Erica Goldman, and I just can't wait to start working with her. So it's really great. I feel incredibly lucky. In terms of the work setup and the juggling, it's all very new. I will say that Zoom is my new best friend. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing. I, I I work most days for my dining room table. And uh, like we'll give a free plug to Zoom because that's what we're on right now. <laughs> if Zoom wants um, to sponsor this podcast, <laughs> go on. That's great. We'll send it their way. So yeah, like I, I travel across North America every day from my dining room table, which is extraordinary and certainly wasn't anything near how the world was even 15 years ago when I started my career. Part of the discussion with the hiring committee at JPRO was about doing the job from, from outside of New York in particular, where the JPRO office is. The Jewish Federations of North America very generously house JPRO. So we decided to keep the office there. Erica will be working from there, and, and I'm in New York pretty often. I also travel other places. I'm going to be in St. Louis soon for their um, annual. They have a fantastic J project. Yeah, <laughs> total rock stars. Um, so I'll be there for their um, annual luncheon and awards. You know, I think what I'll say about all of this is I feel extraordinarily lucky. I think it is still relatively rare to be able to work in such a flexible way. And I know that it's not right for every organization, but certainly for the stage of of life that I'm in, this is the only way this kind of opportunity could work. So, you know, when I'm home, I'm able to focus on my family a little bit more and then I'm away. And so it's a new and different way of finding balance. And I think the more that we can understand about flexible work arrangements, the more that organizations can strive to be open to them where it works and the more that people seeking them can try to understand them and understand what it takes on our ends to make it work for our employers really think the better off we'll be because we know that there are huge issues of gender equity in our fields and certainly it is not all about flexibility and paid parental leave there are a lot of issues but speaking very personally and thinking about a lot of my peers at this stage of life it's a core, core issue. Absolutely. You know, our worlds don't really work around nine to five cut and dry so so much anymore, especially when you have the, the dichotomy of starting a family, having a family, and the shared responsibilities, not just for females, but for, for men too, right? Your kid is sick and I have a meeting, but you don't. Guess who's going to go pick up the kid, right? So there's, with those young family issues, flexibility is, is very important or even when you're working nationally, time zone flexibility is important and, and travel flexibility is important. But it's definitely, a, it's changing the way that we work and that the industry as a whole as we really look at these, these issues. So anything else you do like particularly that you feel, I mean, is it, you know, time with friends, particular mentors you connect back with? Is it, 
you know, finding time for yourself, reading. <laughs> you know, I'm sure things get crazy, but you've only been a month, so they haven't got a chance to get too crazy. Yeah, you know, I'm sort of trying to feel my way into a new routine that will work. I, you know, I, I try to make sure to set some time aside every day for exercise. I really, I make sure in, in those evening hours between when my kids get home and when they go to sleep that I'm, you know, 100% focused on my family. And then I'm able to go back to work for a few hours in the evening. So far, except for when I'm traveling weekends, have also been family time. So, you know, you talked about how sort of work permeates everything. And I think that it forces us differently to figure out what our own boundaries are because the boundaries don't exist for us. Workshop at your next conference. <laughs> How does that boundaries work life yeah. balance? It's, it's not easy. It's not. It's it is not easy. And and you asked about mentors. I you know I think any any time I've gone through a transition and I and I think that this is probably true for many people that cherished mentors and colleagues become real touchstones and it's amazing. I feel so much gratitude for the support from people who are just you know, being generous with me, with their time, with their guidance. And it makes possible thinking and work that otherwise would be impossible for, you know, currently a staff of one and about to be a staff of two. We have an extraordinary board for professionals. You talked about how difficult it is for professionals to volunteer their time. Mm -hmm. We're talking about a board of people who work in the Jewish nonprofit sector who are volunteering their time for an organization that that serves their colleagues. Like it is a really, right. it is a special, special group of people. And I am so lucky to be working with them. That's excellent. That's excellent. As I mentioned, our audience is anywhere from, or soon to be audience, <laughs> those that are listening out there, you know, is anywhere from the students who are starting their career, people who have been in their career, any Jewish professional, right? People who know what JPRO is and people who don't know what JPRO is, your own constituency and, and those who are hearing about your work for the first time. And, and lay leaders, right? And lay, people who... Um, who spend their time after working a full day, you know, volunteering with these organizations. What's some advice that you might have for, for people who are listening to, to our conversation, who hear about the exciting things that are happening and, and the work of this organization? And So, you know, I, I think I'm going, to break, I'm going to break the rule and then I'm going to answer your question. I'm going to say even more than advice, I really, really want to invite your audience to, to be in touch. My email address is ilana at jpro.org, which is I-L-A-N. Yeah, we'll have it on the website. <laughs> at jpro.org. More than anything, your audience is our audience and we want to connect. In, in terms of guidance, I, I'm not trying to dodge the question, but I think that, I don't think there's a sort of one size fits all piece of advice I can give, but I, I can sort of speak candidly about what I'm sort of most working on and focusing on in this moment of my own professional trajectory, my own journey, I guess you could say. And I think for me right now, it really is about being bold and believing in myself and not silencing that inner voice that questions whether I'm actually up for this, but sort of hearing it and putting it in its place. Like, you know, some, some healthy self-doubt I think is important but that, that cannot be the dominant voice. And I think that's always been a struggle for me. I think it is certainly not a gender-specific issue, but I do, I have known a lot of women for whom that's a challenge. 
And I guess what I would sort of say is for those, regardless of gender, who struggle with that, I think kind of being with the need to believe in ourselves and listen to ourselves deeply is a, is a real sort of important opportunity and challenge. And I think for those for whom that kind of core self-confidence comes more easily um, and sort of that more readily feel like, of course, I belong in this job. And of course, I'm, I'm up for this. Remembering that not everybody comes into their work that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that's a, a tremendous gift that we can give ourselves and, and give each other. Um, you know, even, even as I think most of us in the professional sphere, we present ourselves with confidence and we believe in ourselves a good portion of the time, but everybody, everybody has those doubts. Yeah. So I hope that's helpful to that's excellent advice. somebody out there. I didn't even think it was. <laughs> so you had actually mentioned earlier that you, you didn't think that this is where you would be, uh, you know, 15 years ago when you started your career, where did you think you would be? Oh my goodness. I think I had no idea. And, and I think maybe not for everybody, but I think for many of us, the time horizons kind of, they get longer. When I think back to moving to New York for my first job at HAWS, like the time horizons, you know, the first time horizons were like, how do I get to the subway and how does the subway get me to work? Mm-hmm. So it's that, right? The kind of like day to day. But I think, you know, thinking about career, it was maybe, you know, a, a one year horizon or I didn't quite know what was next. Well, I think, you know, you, you asked me before about what, what kind of, what was a pivotal story? What was a pivotal moment in my career? And I shared one. Another pivotal moment was when I was a few years into my career, I participated in a, a program called the Mulestein Institute for Jewish Professional Leadership out of the Wiener Center at UJA Federation of New York. Before I participated in that program, I worked at AJWS and I understood AJWS, but I, I did not understand the field and the sector. And the Muellstein Institute, which no longer exists, although UJ Federation of New York has now launched the Resquet Institute, and they're amazing, and their alumni are amazing and, and have been very helpful to me. So anyways, that experience, uh, I learned about the federation system for the first time. I learned about the sector, and I think there's a way that people sometimes land in a job but don't see the bigger picture. Of, of the field that we're in, and that that's one of our opportunities. So I didn't know where I was going to end up. That is for sure. I mean, if you had spoken to me seven months ago, I wouldn't have thought that I would end up in this position. And it, it came and found me at a wonderful time. I sort of assumed that maybe I would pursue a senior role when my family was at a different stage. Mm-hmm. You know, I think over the last number of years in different ways and at different times, I felt a sort of push or a spark or a something about pushing my leadership and feeling like I have something more to contribute and recognizing that that would mean pushing myself further outside of my comfort zone. And, and then, you, mentioned, you mentioned too that this probably wouldn't have been where you were right now if it had been a different job, right? If it had been an executive level job that required you to be in the office all day, every day, and was a 60, 70 hour in-person commitment where you have this opportunity that allows you a little more flexibility at home with your kids. And then you're traveling, you know, you're traveling and that that's that particular part of the opportunity uh, allowed it to be appealing to you. Am I correct in, in reiterating that? Absolutely. Yeah. Which is great. I said, it's surreal. Like I really, sometimes I just, 
I have to pinch myself and it's not just about the work-life piece of it. That is a wonderful, wonderful gift, but it's, it's about being able to focus on issues of how do we recruit talented people to the field? How do we retain talent, which is a huge, huge challenge. And how do we celebrate and elevate the people that, that power our field? I really think that I, had a great conversation this morning with Liz Fisher, who's an extraordinary leader in the field and is in a senior role at Repair the World. And, you know, she, she and I were talking about how people are, are our resource. Like mm-hmm. that is the resource we have. We have to invest in our people. And, you know, organizations that are tight on budget, often the first thing that goes or one of the first things is professional development. Like, mm-hmm that cannot be seen as expendable. Mm-hmm. It's, it's even, you know, if that is head on budget, it's how do you create the creative ways of doing professional development that isn't costing you, you know, a third of your budget, obviously that's an exaggeration, but you know, there's ways internally that you can bring somebody in for some kind of staff training, or you can say to one individual person, let's enroll you in something online. I mean, there's, there's a lot of opportunities that don't include airfare and hotel and things for a particular kind of conference. I will say, I hope that you're doing the JPro conference. I hope that that is something that if not this year, then, then the coming years, because as I mentioned that, you know, I'm, I'm not looking to get you know, involved locally, but that to me is community and the one that they put on last year, two years ago. This past May in Columbus. Past May. Usually successful. Um, yeah, which is phenomenal. I mean, it's the it's the same thing I get when I go to URJ's biennial with you know all these other reformed Jews. When you really look in a, a room full of a hundred you know people in your breakout session, all talking about you know the marketing issues you have, the value of that is is extraordinary. And and the marketing issues in St. Louis that are the same as the marketing issues in LA and the same as the marketing issues in New York. It really makes you feel connected in a way that I don't think. Um, other than involvement in your local J-Pro chapter, is really found elsewhere. And I think that's a really gem and jewel that your organization is able to provide the field in thinking about these things. So I'm so incredibly grateful that they have found you and recognized your talent and given you the tools to succeed. Um, You know, I think the last thing I want to say, Michelle, is that when you reached out to me, I was really blown away and excited to to hear from you because I think what you're doing is like so much in the spirit of what JPro is about, you know, being entrepreneurial, making something happen because you're passionate about it, doing something on behalf of our field, speaking to other professionals like you. I just, I feel so thrilled and really honored that you wanted to have this conversation and include me in this really awesome project. Absolutely. Thank you, Alana, for your time on the podcast today. Really appreciate your insight. As I reflect on our conversation, a few things came to mind. She spoke a lot about the lessons in investment. She was at AJWS for 13 years. And at her time there, she was exposed to many opportunities that propelled her to this eventual position. This led her to being, in a way, a Jewish community insider. She alludes to this in terms of access, and I failed to pick up on it at the time, but she spoke about how those who have lack of access to fellowships and trainings 
and opportunities for whatever reason, and that this is a gap in our Jewish professional world where JPRO can really fill in. I feel so privileged to have been able to speak with her about her experience and looking forward to many years of her leadership with JPRO. Thank you for joining me on It's Who You Know, the podcast. Again, this is your host, Michelle W. Malkin, and we look forward to hearing from you in two weeks. Like this episode? Have a comment or a great suggestion for our next interview? Contact us through our website at itswhoyouknowpodcast.wordpress.com or on the It's Who You Know Facebook page. As always, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast so that others can find us. It's Who You Know, the podcast.